0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Today, Breakfast and Class is dedicated in loving memory of Pauline's grandmother, Sadie Dweck, alayah shalom, lilunishmat sabut bat altun, shalom, sponsored by Pauline, Sali, Joseph, Ezra, Norma, and Jacob Asashi, badlu, lehaim, tovim, Arukim im, aktuvot batora. Breakfast as well is also sponsored anonymously uh, in honor of the Soror and Chira families. In celebration of the birth of Rini Takuki and Richard Surur. Uh, the week of Cold Brew as well as dedicated loving memory of Sami Saed, Lyun shalom, of Ka sponsored by his son Isaac Syed. My friends, our parashah deals with the concept of uh of tzara'at. It teaches us the laws of what happens to a person when they uh, when they uh, experience a breakout of tzara'at on their skin. And the laws of the Torah tell us that there's different kinds of tzara'at. It's important to notice that what we're talking about over here is not in any way, shape, or form a physical uh, illness. And the proof that this is not, as it is translated, leprosy, the proof that it is not, is that the parashah goes on to talk about tzara'at as it appears on someone's clothing. Otzarat, as it appears on the walls of a house, so even though the translation, the loose translation we use, is leprosy, this is—it's not what you are talking about when you talk about the uh, the sickness of leprosy. Okay, this is a a mark on the body, illustrating that the person needs to be separated from society, needs to be locked up, needs to be called tamer, He needs to rinse his clothes. There's a procedure he needs to go through in order to be able to rejoin uh, uh, his family, rejoin his community. Now, our rabbis teach us that the, uh, the ravages of tzara'at come to a person for two reasons. The very famous reason is tzara'at comes for lashon hara. A less famous reason for tzara'at is stinginess. When a person is unwilling to share, unwilling to give, unwilling to help out, play his part, in helping and supporting the community. Also, there were documented cases of tzaraat. And how does tzaraat help a person uh, who is uh, stingy? Because part of what happens when tzaraat attacks the house is the person has to take out everything from the house. So all of a sudden the guy is saying, I need a break on tuition, I don't have food, I don't have anything. anyway." All of a sudden they, his watch collection comes out, right? you know? He's got the box that has the rotating, you know, the rotating watch and things that, that, that keep all the automatic watches running. And he's got the, you know, he has to pull out his seven cars from his garage. Every, safe. he has to pull out the, the, the safe, everything. So everything needs to be taken out of the house and everyone can see what the guy actually has. Think about how embarrassing that would be for someone, okay? That's the concept of tzaraat. So tzaraat comes for stinginess and it comes, as, it, as we say, for lashon hara. Today, we don't have Tzara'at. And the question is, why, if this is a result, speaking towards, or to lashon HaRa, how come we don't have it? So there's multiple reasons that are given. One reason that's given is because the the uh, ending of the story of Tzara'at has korbanot that need to be brought in the Beit HaMikdash. So to get out of Tzara'at, you had the korban of the Misora, right? We read about it later in the parasha. If that's the case, right, so today's day and age, without the Beit HaMikdash, a person would never be able to leave the situation of Tzarat. And the purpose, when God punishes, is not in order to punish. And I've, I'm very fond of quoting this idea that's brought down from the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim, one of the Rishonim. Rabbeinu Nisim asks a beautiful question. He asks, if we are supposed to emulate God, right, the Pasuk says, Hashem <laughs> Telechu, Right? You're supposed to follow in God's ways. And what does that mean? The Gemara says, hu rahum, Just as He's called, rahum, eh, merciful, so too you should be merciful. Hu just as He is gracious, so too you should be gracious. Esks the ran, one second, hold on. But God is also called other things in the Torah. And how come we don't emulate those elements or traits of God? Such as, El kana, God is jealous. Right? El Nikamot Amonai. God takes revenge. So if we want to be like God, right? Why don't we take revenge to be like Hashem? Why don't we... How can we know we're not jealous like it says that God is when we worship other idols, okay? When we worship, excuse me, idols, not other idols, okay? The answer the Ran gives is very, very powerful. The Ron explains... He says, it's because when the Torah says that God takes revenge, if you took revenge, that would not be like God. God's revenge doesn't come from a place of anger, from a place of jealousy. God's jealousy doesn't come from a place of jealousy. The only time HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes anybody is only for the sake of rehabilitating that person. Whether in this world, whether in the next, but the entire purpose of punishment is for the person's benefit. When you punish someone, it's literally to make yourself feel better and to put the guy down. That's your aim and your intention. So therefore, the reason why we don't emulate God by doing these things is because were we to do them, they would not be an emulation of God. So, Rabutai, if a person is unable to get out of tzaraat because they don't have the korban of the misorah, so then there would be no point in getting tzaraat because the entire intention was to rehabilitate the person to come back into his community after having gotten a chance to understand what he did. El Chachamim explained that when a person is pulled out of the community, he has to sit outside by himself of the machaneh. No one's allowed to come close to him. Okay. In fact, when he's walking through other people or himself, they have to say, Tameh, Tameh, Tameh Yikrad says. Why? So No one should approach him. He's literally a biblically mandated pariah. And the reason for that is because he's become, as a person, he's a danger to society. He destroys marriages or friendships, people's connections, businesses, with his words. That's what a Baal Lashon HaRa does. He's a destructive force in the community. So therefore, what do we tell this person? We tell him, you've lost your right to be part of the community. Every person in a community has a job, has a responsibility to strengthen it. If you're not playing that role, you're weakening it, you have no right, you have no role to play in the synagogue, in the in the community, in the schools. Therefore you belong, you need to be excommunicated from it. That is the story of the Mitzorah. But my friends, his story, his punishment is also his salvation. There's nothing like spending time away from the community to make you realize how important it is. We've all just had an extended period of tzarat, locked up in our homes, separated from our friends, not allowed to celebrate together, not allowed to convene, to have parties, right? We've had this for a long time. And those of us who emerged from quarantine, remember back in the day how much you were craving. You were desperate to talk to people interact with people right even if by the way you quarantined with your wife or you quarantined with your wife and your children you were, des- you were desperate for connection for friendship for community a Ba'al Shonara that goes through this isolation suddenly realizes the value of all of the parts of the community that he so wantonly was bashing Rabotai the same answer also applies to the person who's stingy he has to be separated from the community, what happens? He recognizes its value. Rabbotai always the value of things um, gets sharpened and remind. we are reminded of it. When we lose, when we unfortunately have a, a, a hiatus from those things, suddenly you realize that, the, oh, it's so annoying, this guy is so this, he's so that, I can't pray with him, I can't pray next to him. You suddenly start to take a much kinder view of the people around you because you're actually, you're desperate. You realize how important and how valuable they were in your life and you choose to focus on that side of it. You choose to support that side of it. You have people who don't want to support schools because this is wrong with this school, that's wrong with the school. Yeah, but how much is right with the school? How much is right with the community? Oh, and this school is not as academic as that one. This school is this, this... Yeah, but look at how much how many good things they're giving your children, you know. And and you have to weigh up the values and the positives of people of the community. Nothing in this world is perfect. But when you step away from it, you don't focus on its on its negatives. You kind of recalibrate and focus focus on its positives. There was a Hasidish Rebbe after the war. Um, most of his community was killed out, and. Um, the ones that survived gathered back to be with him and to try and rebuild his name was the machnovka rebbe anyway it comes time for the prayers and the rabbi is sitting facing in the front of the shul facing the sibur now in my in our synagogue my chair as an example when i sit down i face the community some rabbis it's the opposite the chairs are all facing forward and they face forward. It's not a bad thing. Each one has a reason. One is to face the people. One is you don't want to turn your back on the, on the Aron Kodesh. Everybody's got a reason for their minhag. So the rabbi was facing the people. A man comes up to him and says, Rabbi, I think you may have forgotten the minhag in, in machnovka, right? The minhag is that the rebbe faces the people. It faces the front, not faces the people. And the rabbi smiled at him. He says, I didn't forget the Menach. He says, "But after what I just went through, after what we just went through, where every one of us lost our community, lost our families," he says, "never in my life again will I be able to a room drain for Naid, to turn my back on a Jew." Wow. That's unbelievable. I always thought to myself, <laughs> There's always that guy in the shul. Had that just got saved from Auschwitz. Like, you know, he comes from the death camps and he sits in the front. And the first thing you want to tell him is that he's sitting wrong. Unbelievable, right? There's always people like that. That guy, the time Bet that's probably would have had <laughs> Right? But my friends, we have this opportunity. We have this chance in our lives to decide how we want to look and how we want to relate to the people around us. And, and I think reading through these parashiyot and understanding the nature of it is, uh, is crucial to getting ourselves, getting our heads into that space. Now we know that there's three different stages. There's the tzarat of the house, there's tzarat of the clothing, and there's zarat that appears on the, on, the, on the body of the person. And our rabbis tell us that the first one that appears is on the house. If the person doesn't get the message, then it gets closer to him, right? It appears on his clothing. Then if it doesn't, doesn't make its impact, then it appears on the body. When Borei Olam punishes or instructs us, he doesn't go straight for the throat. Because remember, the whole point of the punishment, not to get you, it's not to hurt you. It's not like Hashem feels, you know, pleasure in making you squirm or suffer. So therefore, Borei Olam, he tries the lightest version of the corrective measure. First, go to a hospital, doctor, and the doctor says to you, we have three options. You know, for, the, for what you're going through. We could try, uh, you know, some simple method where you sleep differently on your side. You know, or we could give you these medicines, but they really, they wreak, wreak havoc on your system, on your stomach, on your, you get headaches, your hair falls out, you big pimples on your nose. I don't know, okay. And then the final solution is we cut you open from top to bottom, but unfortunately you'll never be able to walk again. <laughs> Which one do you want to choose? They're going to I'll sleep on my side, doctor. I'll sleep on my side. Right? You always want to go for the, the least, you know, the, the corrective measure. So when a person has sarat on the house, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal if the guy gets the message. If he doesn't do tishuvah though, you know, first they have to take out the brick in the area. If it comes back again, they have to knock down the whole house. But I saw in this, my friends, something very powerful. Why does Sarat come on the guy's house? How come, I don't know, Sarat doesn't go on his donkey? Right, what's the, what's the, what's the reason? The point is, Rabotai, we're trying to communicate with this person, not just to punish him, to change him. What we're trying to make him realize is rohi, don't you realize you're destroying your home? You speak this way about other people, you think you're hurting them. The people you're hurting the most are inside your house. You're teaching your wife and your children by role, by being this role model, That speaks at the Shabbat table. People tell me this all the time. One guy told me, Rabbi, you know I'm not religious today? I said, No, why? He says, I could not stand Shabbat. So I told him he couldn't use his phone, he missed the sports, I don't know. So I started, he goes, No, Rabbi, you're getting, you're misunderstanding me. He goes, There wasn't a single Shabbat table I sat at with my family, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, where the topic at the Shabbat table was not ripping people to shreds you hear what he said you hear what happened with them it was all about the scandal one after the next after the next what could they talk about what was the gossip of the week he says and I kept trying to tell people why don't, why don't we keep this positive why don't we talk about nice things maybe someone say something on the parasha, but everybody loved you know everybody loved this the gaz, ge, the, the gossip he says eventually I couldn't stand it anymore so I'm not, I am not on keep Shabbat anymore I told the guy, Rohi, you don't have to change Shabbat, you don't have to change religions, just change the table. <laughs> <laughs> right? calm down, right? He was eventually able to see the difference between these two things. But a person is destroying their home. They're teaching their kids to be negative. And one of the things I always say, you know, today, unfortunately, we hear a lot about in America, people dying because of guns. So one method is, unfortunately, when someone, unfortunately, loses their sanity, they go into a school, they go somewhere, they shoot the place up. Terrible. But you know, a lot of gun deaths in this country don't happen because someone went and shot somebody up. Happens because there was a gun in the house. Some kid came across the gun, shoots himself, shoots the mother, doesn't realize what it is. Five-year-olds, four-year-olds. There was a case in the news a little while ago, a three-year-old kid found the gun in the parents' house, the, killed the father. Thinks you know he sees it in a cartoon. Doesn't know what it is. Doesn't understand his child. Rabotai speaking La hara is like having a loaded gun in the house. And a person thinks all the time that that gun is not is going to be used to protect them. That that gossip is going to take everybody else down, but make us better, stronger, more connected. It's only a matter of time before that gun is then turned against you. You taught your kids to see. The negative in everybody, what, you think that they're going to be unable to turn that critical gaze on you, on your wife, on the way that you raise them, on the way that you treat each one of the kids, on the way that you brought, which one you brought into the business? Teach your kids that. Give them a loaded gun. The likelihood of you or someone you love getting hurt is higher than the likelihood of someone outside the house getting hurt. So we start with the home. And then we move on to the clothing itself. It starts to slowly infiltrate. You know, if there's um, mold in the, what's it called, in the, on the walls of the house, the landlord is obligated to take care of that mold, right? Everyone know this? If You find this, and there's different kinds of mold. There's green mold. The worst kind of mold is black mold, right? Black mold is fatal. Why is black mold? Why is it fatal? to be in a house that has black mold, because the spores of the, mo- of the mold are there in the air, eventually a person breathes them in, eventually the person is poisoned from the inside out. Rabotai, the tzarat on the walls of the house, first infects all the clothes, but then it eventually infects the person himself, and it gets that person himself sick. And it can destroy not only uh, uh, your family, it can destroy even yourself. And think about the craziness of this. When a person speaks lashon hara, their motivation, whether they know it or not, is to feel better about themselves. Tear the other guy down, now you're standing higher because you're standing on his dead body, okay? Or you feel you feel like you're the one that knows, oh, you think you know, I spoke to the guy, you know why he's, you know, you know how come? Oh my gosh, the story of the get was like some sort of blanket hair for everyone in the community to speak lashon i'm not saying that people didn't need they, they needed to do things about it they things need to be done and baruch hashem they resulted in uh, in three or four or five successful you know uh results but the fact that people decided that now carte blanche everyone gets to speak lashon HaRa about not only the guy but the family his kids his, everyone it's n- not normal the rabbis this one that community this community it's unbelievable um It's toxic. And when we recognize all of a sudden that I'm coughing, (coughs) I'm going to the doctor and the doctor gives me this medicine, that medicine, this medicine, that medicine, nothing's going to help. You know why? Because you'll then go home and breathe it in again. And if it's easy to do Teshuvah on your own sins, it's much more difficult to do Teshuvah when you've spread it to a bunch of other people around you where you don't have the agency to make the change for them. So you spread that in your house. Now your wife is like that. Now your kids are like that. So even if you do teshuvah, but then you come back, you took the medicine, you got better in the hospital, but the black mold is still on the walls. The house is still poisonous. Rabbi we need to do our very best to uproot this sickness from our midst, to speak positively about people, and it starts slowly. You didn't reveal everyone's greatest secrets in one shot. First you said this, I don't know, the guy was in the shul, he's just annoying. You know, I heard he's not just annoying, I heard, yeah, that's how it works. Starting to heal also works in the same way. Try every day this week to just pay a compliment to someone that you're not used to paying a compliment to. But in order to do that, you have to actually see something that's complimentary about them. You start to change your eyes You then change your speech. And if a person sees good, then they speak good. May God bless us to always be amongst those people.